How's everyone doing today? Y'all feeling good? Well, I don't know about you, but it's good to be with you. I hope you feel the same way. If you happen to be new with us today or the first time you're in this space, uh, we are just really delighted. We think it's a big deal that people show up here and come into a brand new place around brand new people, and we just want to say thank you for worshiping with us. We would love to know that you worshiped with us, and you can do that by going to fbcsa.org connect, or there might be a little thing right in front of you, in the chair in front of you, you actually can fill out, um, and you can put that in one of our little bins alongside of the room. But we just want to know that you're here, and it gives us an opportunity to connect with you at a later time. But we are thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. Um, we have been in this series that we're calling on Unlocking the Old Testament, Unlocking the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and we are in week four, and we have actually skipped a bunch of stuff. We've been in Genesis, right, uh, with Noah and Abraham and Joseph, and now we've covered um, Jumped over a lot of ground, and now we're in Joshua. So let's stand together. We're going to read Joshua chapter 2, verses 8, verses 8 through 11, or 8 through, let's see. Is that 8 through 11? Like y'all know. Like, you tell me, Danny. 8 through 11. Let's read this together. Here it goes. Okay. Before the spies went to sleep that night... Rahab went on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sahan and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We're grateful for it. And so as we always pray, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the feet and the hands and the will to follow you every single day of our life. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. One of the questions that we ask when we come to stories like this is, why this story of Rahab? Why did Joshua include this story and feature this woman so prominently in the scriptures. And so um, it's helpful for us to kind of put Rahab in context before we get into some of the details of the story itself and answer that question. Why do we have this story of Rahab and, and it's featured so prominently? Well, let me just remind you, um, Adam and Eve created in the image of God from which we have come as well in all of humanity. We too are made in the image of God and we were commissioned from the very beginning to be image bearers in all the earth, to serve as God's representatives and have dominion and rule over all the earth and be fruitful and multiply. We know that didn't go all too well. Genesis chapter three, we know that 
Adam and Eve stepped away from fellowship with God and chose to follow the wisdom of men. And that introduced sin and death into the world. And then we know that Noah became that new Adam where God brought judgment against the world that had just become completely and totally wicked because they were living the wisdom of men. And that's what happens when you live the wisdom, live out the wisdom of men, destruction and death take shape. And so God said, I've chosen Noah. He's a righteous man. Uh, He's following after me. And I'm going to start everything all over again as a new Adam through Noah. Because we know that didn't go all that well either. He fell in the same way that Adam fell. And then we know Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God set his eyes on Abraham and promised him that through Abraham, he would fulfill that original commission that that, that he gave humanity to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to rule as his representatives over all the earth. All of that would be fulfilled through Abraham. In addition, uh, God says, I, I promise that you will be the father of kings and nations and every nation on the planet will be blessed through you. And of course, then we saw... Um, We didn't see this. We know that there's Isaac. We know Jacob, who had 12 sons. All of that, God is choosing these men through Abraham and his sons and grandsons to fulfill that covenant promise. And then we obviously spoke about Joseph last week that fits into that. And after Joseph, we have Moses, who would lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And he would be the one that would lead them into the desert and receive the the law of God and that covenant that God made with his people. And after Moses, we have a kind of a new Moses who is Joshua, who leads the people in the Canaan conquest. And it's in this story of Joshua that we find this story of Rahab. Also to let you know, at this point in this history, Um, after Moses has led them out of slavery and they were in the desert for 40 years. Moses dies, but Joshua's been tasked with securing Canaan. And so they're coming from the east and they move and cross over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, which is full of various nations. And God has said, I want you to go in and I I want you to secure Canaan, which means you're going to have to take out um, all of those nations who are under the judgment of God. This is, this is not new. Um, we knew the people, the Amorites and others that lived in the land of Canaan were a very immoral people. They had many opportunities uh, to repent, um, but no, they, they was grave immorality, which included child sacrifice, among other things. And, and so Joshua, God was using Joshua not only as Uh, an arm of judgment against these nations, but also to secure the land for his people. And so that's where we are. And we find this story as they've just crossed the Jordan River into the land of Canaan and Jericho is the first fortified city that they have to come up against. And so they send out two spies And the two spies making their way into the city are scouts making their way into the city, find themselves at Rahab's inn. Some scholars would say that Rahab is is an innkeeper and a harlot. 
uh, and that it was probably pretty customary that a lot of people came through uh, where she had her business. And this is no different. And so they go and stay at her house. Of course, we know how the story goes. The king got word that scouts were in his city uh, and they go to Rahab's home to figure out if this is true and where did they go. Uh, Rahab decides, this is a pretty significant moment. Uh, Rahab has to decide in the moment if she is going to side with her king or protect these men. Of course, you know the story. Olivia's already retold it to us. She chooses to side with these men. She lies to the men that the king sent to her. They leave to go look for these scouts, but all the time these spies or scouts from Joshua were on her roof hiding. And after she lies, she goes back up to the roof before the men go to bed, and then she has a significant conversation with the two scouts on her roof. I just want to pause and say that this story is fascinating. Uh, this is really a fascinating story uh, in the book of Joshua, and not least of which how it fits in God's overall story of his people and what he's going to do uh, through Rahab and, and his people. But it's just a fascinating story how everything takes shape. In verses 8 through 10, she says something incredible. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. This is beginning in verse eight. Verse nine, she says, I know the Lord has given you this land. That's very covenantal language that we've already heard before in Exodus when God promised the land to the people. He used the same language. She's repeating the same language. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did in Sahan and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. Also similar language that we've heard before or has been revealed to us before. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. And this is astounding. She says this lastly. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. But Rahab tells us that not just she... But everyone has heard these incredible stories of God. It's a fascinating statement that everyone has heard. And then she gives two primary examples. The first is how God parted the Red Sea so that the people of Israel could cross on dry ground. That was 40 years ago. She probably wasn't even born when that happened. And yet those stories are still resonating with the people. They're sticking around. They are being told and then retold. And then more recently, the news of the defeat of these two kings, which are east of the Jordan River. 
Now, God didn't give them explicit commands to take out nations and kings east of the Jordan River, just within the land of Canaan. But both of those kingdoms came against Joshua and the people, and God took care of that and his provision to overwhelm them. But they had heard that story. They heard there is significant, significant power in these big stories of God. A nomadic people, at least that's how it appears, they've been wandering the desert for 40 years. These aren't necessarily trained warriors, although they've done some of that along the way. They don't have all the equipping that you would have in a fortified city. And all along the way, this big God is providing for them and making a way and protecting them as he promised. And those stories were in the city, not just there, but all over the place. These are a small, insignificant people, and yet they're God. Everyone that comes against them is defeated. They heard the stories. Of course, this is, this is exactly what God said would happen. There's a few passages of scripture, Exodus uh, chapter nine, verses 15 through 16. Uh, this, is, this is way back when um, uh, Moses is having dialogues with the Pharaoh about, listen, something's coming, you need to let the people go. And I want you to hear what God says in verses 15 and 16 of chapter nine of Exodus as he speaks to Pharaoh through Moses. By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. It's pretty strong language. Verse 16, but I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth, Jericho and all the other nations and kingdoms in Canaan and beyond. Chapter 15, 15 of Exodus. Now this is interesting. Um, chapter 15 is a song that erupts from the people after they cross the Red Sea or walk through the, on dry ground through the Red Sea. They can't help but explode in song as God has been their deliverer. And so this verse is in this song it's verse 15. It says, the leaders of Edom are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble and all who live in Canaan melt away. They're not in Canaan. And yet in this song, God speaks that word that Jericho in Canaan is going to melt away because of fear of their God and the kind of God that he is. Chapter 23, verse 27 of Exodus God says to his people, I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all the people whose lands you invade. I will make all your enemies turn and run. All of that being fulfilled, the reason Rahab knows these stories is because these big stories of God and what he did on behalf of his people as they left Egypt and through the Red Sea and defeating everyone that would come in their, their way and all the provisions along the way in 40, the 40 years in the desert had to be retold and told and it left the people full of fear. That's what she says. Everybody is trembling 
with fear. And that was part of the plan of God is that these stories of what he has done and who he is would travel. Travel, there's grace in that. We'll get to that in a moment. But not only that, in verse 11, which we've already read, not only did she hear these incredible stories, and not her alone, but everyone in the city, but she had a particular response, and her response moved from fear to real belief in this God. What does she say? She says, the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Her hearing turns to faith in the God of Israel which is remarkable. She uses words like the supreme God. In other words, the stories that I'm hearing about your God, I don't know any God like that. The God that you're talking about and the stories that I've heard, there is no God like that. Your God is supreme. He's over the heavens and the earth. He's over everything. And her experience among the the pagan Canaanite gods, these are all these men and women-like little deities that would have fealty over just small portions and places like the sky or the thunder or agriculture. But she says, no, you're not a small God. You're a big God over everything. You are supreme God. There is no God like you. And if I'm gonna trust anybody, if I'm gonna put my eggs in any basket, it's gonna be in your God. Your God actually does what he says he's gonna do. Your God actually acts. Your God provides. All my God just make demands of things as if they need stuff from me. But not your God. Your God is supreme. Hearing the stories turn to faith of all of the people in Jericho, Rahab believes and turns to the God of Israel to save her life. Now, this is important because the reality is, Rahab is a very shrewd woman. There's an opportunity here. They know because of the stories that the people of Israel and their God are coming into Canaan. They don't know all the answers as to what might happen next, but if it's anything like the other kingdoms, things aren't going well. And God, she says, I already know God's gonna give you the land. He's given it to you. And so she's at a very opportune moment and she's using all of her political savvy and shrewdness and negotiation skills to save her life. To redeem her own life. And that's, I mean, that's just the nuts and bolts of what's going on. But the reason she does that is because she believes in this God, she's choosing to believe in in the supreme God of Israel because of all the stories that she has heard. And that's contrasted with everyone else in the city. Everyone else has heard the same stories. And although the spies didn't show up into everyone's house and give them the same opportunities necessarily, every person in that city, both wise, powerful, influential, Everyone else had an opportunity to respond, not just in fear, but in faith. That God. I, I, I want to be on that God's side. We don't have any accounting that anyone else but Rahab chose to trust in the God of Israel. 
It reminded me of what Paul would write to the Corinthian church. Of course, thousands of years later, he would, he would say to the Corinthian church, who at the time were really struggling with telling the stories of God in the marketplace because people weren't responding the way that they expected them to because in the marketplace, in the Greek and Roman culture, the idea of someone crucified being a savior and a messiah was just a horrible thought. And so they weren't responding to the gospel. But this is, this is what Paul writes to them to encourage them to continue to speak the gospel in all the places that they go. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose those things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. The wise and powerful, influential in Jericho did not respond to the stories of this great God in the same way that Rahab did. And yet Rahab one of the lowest in status in Jericho. Even in that culture, her profession wasn't deemed as something noble. And yet she, the the foolish of Jericho, responded to the wisdom of God. And I think that's so fascinating here that her faith, hearing those stories, turned to faith. What does she do next? Verses 12 through 13, as I've already alluded to, she uses the moment and the opportunity to negotiate her own safety and others. Verse 12, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. Immediately, her heart and mind goes beyond just redeeming herself, but her whole family, her whole family, me and my family. What a beautiful picture and story. Her faith turns to action. She takes steps again to negotiate her own safety, redemption, saving, not just of herself, but her whole family. I imagine as she's talked about hearing these stories, that she, along with her family, had been talking about these stories of this God and how he's provided and redeemed these people, these Israelites. Not to mention this latest news from the defeat of these kings east of the Jordan. Uh, It's probably all that they talked about. The imminence of them coming and crossing the Jordan. There was a lot of fear and a lot of what-ifs but the point is, her family have probably also heard about these, this God of Israel that even from her own mouth, mouth that she's been retelling these stories and, and faith is taking shape in her own life. That what, if, what if his God, their God, is supreme over all gods and over all the earth? Maybe that's the God in whom I need to put my faith in. Of course, we know that that happens. 
But those conversations were probably taking shape and when she had an opportunity, not just to redeem herself or find safety in herself by negotiating with these scouts, but also on behalf of others. She says, if I protect you, will you save me? Will you protect my family and their families? Her faith was far more than just this personal, quiet, and mysterious experience, wasn't it? It wasn't something that she could keep to herself, primarily because of the desperate need. There was a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake. And although she didn't know all there was to know about God, I mean, think about that for a moment. All she knew was she didn't know about the law, the moral code. She didn't know any of that. All she knew was this God reigned over everything because he provided for his people all along the way. He divided the Red Sea. She didn't know all the other details. But she didn't keep it to herself. It wasn't just this individual, personal experience where she's contemplating the realities of this other God who is greater than the other gods. No, it, it, it went from her to her family and likely friends. Didn't stay with her. Both James and the writer of Hebrews honor this kind of faith, the kind of steps the kind of faith that steps out of itself and takes action and bears fruit in the life of other people. I mean, with that step of faith, that was a brand new legacy. Not to mention she saved multiple generations of her own family and people because of her faith that she didn't keep to herself because she knew there was a lot at stake. They're very lives. And then we get to this plan that the scouts and her put together, beginning in verse 17. Before the scouts left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. Okay, we're going to save you and your family. Verse 18, when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. We're not responsible for that. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. Verse 21, she says, I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. And so they put together this plan. Yes, we will save you because you've helped us. Joshua recaps that story in chapter six, the end of chapter six. He saved uh, Rahab and the family because... She helped them, and they come up with this plan, stay in the house, get as many people in the house as possible. I like to think that she got her family in there and as many friends as she could. Just fill that house to the brim. And they said, we want you to put this red rope and hang it out of the window, or this crimson cord, as I like to say. I'm not the first one to say that, of course. But put this crimson cord. 
And the writer of, um, the narrator here wants us to make a clear connection, a clear parallel to the lamb's blood during Passover. Remember that story? That the angel of death that would be sent by the Lord to take out all the firstborn sons in Egypt would pass over the houses that would have the red blood on the doorposts of the house. The writer here, the narrator, Joshua, who's retelling the story, wants us to make that connection. And of course, we can't help but from go to there to Jesus. It's not a tough leap for us to go there to Jesus. We know even John the Baptist declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God, which is pointing back to the Passover. We can see in the the life and steps of faith of Rahab in this story, we can see how the promise of the one who would come and restore everything would happen through Christ. We can see that clearly. And it's here when we think about that that we can also realize just how significant this story actually is. Although Joshua is not thinking about Jesus, he is thinking about the Passover meal. He is thinking about God's provision and redemption and saving of his people, and this is no different in this case. But we see just how significant she is. We know because of testimony from the scriptures that Rahab is the great, great grandmother of Jesus. Pretty incredible. That's in Matthew chapter one. Incredible. She fits into that story of the coming Messiah, not to mention uh, she is, did I just say great, great grandmother of Jesus? That was wrong. Y'all knew that. Y'all should have corrected me. I meant to say David. We know that she's the great, great grandmother of David, King David, which is significant. We know the promise that David received that he would be the forebearer of the messianic king who would be ruler over all the earth, not just Israel, but over all the earth. And of course, we know again, going back to Matthew chapter one, that she is in the genealogy of Jesus. She is that part of God's promise to bless the nations through this family that he called through Abraham. Rahab, this story. Rahab plays a significant part in the story of God and what he is doing in all the earth. To fulfill that original commission that given to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter one, to fulfill that covenant promise that he gave Abraham, that covenant promise that he gave David that is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And that's where our hearts and eyes go. But I want us to end with a question this morning. And that is, what if we told the big stories of God? Or maybe another question is, What kind of stories do we tell about God? Or what kind of stories do we tell, period, in our life? What's the soundtrack, the story soundtrack of our life? What resonates 
out of us. What's clear is that Rahab fits into God's promise and fulfillment that all goes eventually to Jesus because she heard these profound and big stories of God. But it makes me wonder about our own church family. What if we told the big stories of God? What if that's what resonated from us, from this church that gets together once or twice or three times a week downtown and we go to our different places across the city and our workplaces and communities and neighborhoods? What if the big stories of God resonated out of our church family increasingly? I know they do. What would happen? I imagined that legacies would be changed even more. I imagine that generations would be saved, countless of Rahabs who would then retell their own stories, who would make a significant difference. But most importantly, what if we too are called to fit into, not what if, we are called to fit into what God is doing in all the earth. We are the Rahabs. We are called, no matter how insignificant you think that you are, are the great sin that you carry that we too can know redemption and restoration and be a part of what God is doing in all the earth. That's significant. I think about the Samaritan woman when she encountered Jesus and how she retold that story and the whole town came to Christ. I think of Zacchaeus who came to faith in Jesus, repented of his past life and taking money from people and said, no, I'm gonna change everything. I imagine what that community was like after Zacchaeus put his faith in Jesus. It makes me think about the Ethiopian eunuch who along the way was searching the scriptures and God led Philip to teach him what the scriptures were saying about Jesus. I imagine, I wonder about what his community was like when he got back home. Did he retell the stories of God about Jesus? Absolutely. We know there's a legacy in Ethiopia about the stories that he told, but what about us? My prayer My prayer is that the stories of God would resonate through this church family and that they would make an impact across this city and beyond to the ends of the earth, like Pakistan and Scotland, Poland, and all the different places that this church family goes. May we be a people increasingly who boldly tell the stories of God in all the places that we go. And then we'll get to watch and see how God will use that to bless others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this profound yet simple story of Rahab. Lord, I pray that you help us to be a similar kind of people that we would not just hear your stories, but respond in faith and action. Uh, That we would see that there is a desperate urgency and a need to retell the stories to others, to invite them in to follow this God through Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you help us faithfully do that. And then Lord, may you bear much fruit in that as we retell those stories in all the places that we go. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.
Amen. Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support. We need your prayers and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today.